Al Jazeera podcast. After 47 days, a pause in Gaza. Israel and Hamas have each accepted what they're calling a temporary ceasefire. Israel and Hamas have agreed on a four-day truce, according to both sides, the first in the war. In exchange for 50 hostages, 150 Palestinian prisoners, including some women and teenagers, will be released by Israel. The deal, mediated by Qatar, was a diplomatic breakthrough involving multiple countries over many weeks. But even after the announcement, Israeli bombs and gunfire continued across Gaza. Today, the story of how this pause unfolded and what impact this deal will have in Israel and in Gaza. I'm Malika Bilal and this is the take. I'm James Bays. I work normally at the United Nations Bureau of Al Jazeera where I'm the diplomatic editor, but since uh, the bombardment of Gaza started since the events of October the 7th, I've been working out of Al Jazeera's headquarters here in Doha. Doha has been the center of this deal's diplomatic activity as Qatar mediated this truce between Israel and Hamas. Well, the first thing to say is that this has been uh, diplomacy led by Qatar going on for weeks and weeks to try and get this to a deal and we're told that they've got pretty close on several occasions before and in fact each occasion in the past it was the Israeli side that backed out for one reason or another and I think the other thing worth saying about all of the negotiations is they've been based around one central thing which is the number of captives that Hamas is holding that they would be prepared to release and the number of days of ceasefire that Israel would be able to give in return and so they've now come to a deal it seems and i i do want to stress i think everyone is worried about getting ahead of themselves at this delicate moment The numbers that both sides finally accepted in the deal are 50 captives released by Hamas and a four-day pause in fighting offered by Israel. We understand what will happen is every 24 hours there will be 10 captives released, meaning at the end of the four days of ceasefire, as you reach the fifth 24-hour mark, then you have got 50 that are released. by Hamas. It's worth noting that Hamas doesn't hold all the captives that we believe are in Gaza. We believe the number may be about 237. There are other groups, Palestinian Islamic Jihad and other groups which are holding people as well. So that is another complicating factor. Israel is saying that for every further 10 captives that Hamas releases, they will extend the ceasefire by an extra day. But as I said before, It is worth noting that Hamas we don't think holds all the captives and so doesn't have total control over the situation regarding those that are held in Gaza. But James says the other thing that Hamas has fought for and got in this deal is that Palestinian prisoners are also set to be released. And it's interesting that the number there will be 150 that are released. 
that these are going to be Palestinian women and children that are being held by Israel. So it is 50 Israelis in return for 150 Palestinian women and children. But most importantly to the people on the ground in Gaza, the agreement also mentions humanitarian convoys are to be allowed to enter. We're told there'll be fuel coming in as part of that aid. Fuel is absolutely critical to try and prevent disease and starvation in Gaza, to try and get the aid delivered, get food, get bakeries operating again, get hospitals working again, to try and deal with the sanitation problems in Gaza. The UN is seriously concerned about starvation in Gaza and disease in Gaza on top of the man-made destruction that we've seen over, over six weeks. So that aid is absolutely vital, and it's not entirely clear to me exactly how much aid is going to be allowed in. We're told that it's going to be about 300 trucks of aid, including fuel, but the actual composition of those trucks, and remember Israel has been inspecting and insisting on having details of everything that has been coming into Gaza. What are they going to allow in? I think that is very, very important indeed. Finalizing the details of the deal required an international effort by joint mediators Qatar, the U.S., and Egypt, all using their influence on each side. Hamas have always had relations with Qatar. That is something that was long agreed between the U.S. and the Qataris that Qatar should play this role as an intermediary. And certainly that long-term role has been very much used in these negotiations. Israel has mainly, I think, been represented in the negotiations by the United States, which obviously has a very big place in Qatar in terms of a large embassy that operates here. But remember also, Qatar is the host for one of the largest military bases that the US has in the region. But we know that prominent Israelis have been here too. We know that the Mossad chief has made at least one visit to Doha during this period. But a lot of the diplomacy, is always the case with these things, will have not been done face-to-face. It'll have been done remotely. It'll have been done with countless meetings, countless phone calls that have been taking place all over the region. Including some phone calls made personally by the U.S. president to the Israeli prime minister as Al Jazeera's Mike Hanna heard from a U.S. official. President Biden was personally involved and hands-on. The administration officials saying that Biden was being briefed from hour to hour about what was happening. He phoned or spoke to Benjamin Netanyahu on at least 14 occasions, and this all helped in reaching this agreement. But getting the Israeli government to accept the deal proved to be another challenge, as James told us. There's a whole process that's taken place in Israel. You had the Israeli war cabinet, which is basically just three people who sat down to make the decision. That's Benny Gantz, an opposition leader, Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister, and Yoav Gallant, the defense minister. But then it went to higher levels. It went to the security cabinet. It went to the entire cabinet. It went to representatives of the entire current coalition government. You had hours throughout the night of several meetings. You had a war cabinet meeting. You had a security cabinet meeting. That's Al Jazeera correspondent Sara Khairat, who's been following the response in Israel as the deal was announced. 
We've been doing live since 6 a.m. local every hour, given that there's this deal that's been agreed upon. We managed to catch her in the car as her team drove from occupied East Jerusalem to Tel Aviv. Which is where a lot of the decision-making has been made and where the vote took place with the Israeli cabinet. And Sara says, after weeks of hardline rhetoric against Hamas, the war cabinet had to be convinced to stop bombing Gaza, even for a temporary deal. Now, the Israeli government, the war cabinet, the prime minister, they've all been against it because they have had two goals throughout. The main one, which is, in their words, to eliminate Hamas. The second goal is to bring back those captives alive. But given that they feel that they are making gains from the north of Gaza and moving towards the center of Gaza, they've been concerned that any pause could potentially allow Hamas or Islamic Jihad or any of the fighters in Gaza to regroup and to be able to target Israeli troops that are on the ground. And this is their main concern, given that this isn't the first war. There have been many Israeli wars on Gaza, but the difference with this one is that this is the largest number of ground troops that they've had on the ground. Netanyahu faced especially strong opposition from members of his far-right cabinet, including finance minister Betzalel Smotrich. He's been dead against it. He did, and his party changed their mind, they said, after this debate, because they were convinced that this was in the interest of the country. However, people like the National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gavir and his party were against it. They still voted against it. And their biggest concerns has been, they said, that the opportunity to release, for example, Palestinian prisoners could lead to attacks like October 7 happening again. Because if you look at the Hamas leader, Yahya Sinwar, he was a prisoner in Israeli prisons and was released as part of a deal a similar deal a few years back. And he has become leader of Hamas and October 7 attack was under his leadership. So that has been one of the biggest concerns for people in that government. However, that doesn't matter because at the end of the day, they voted in this deal. They've agreed to it. Hamas has agreed to it. Qatar announced it earlier this morning and therefore it's going ahead. But Netanyahu did stress that this temporary ceasefire would not stop Israel from continuing its offensive in Gaza. Outside, there is a lot of nonsense talk, as if after we ceasefire for the release of the hostages, we will stop the war. So I would like to clarify, we are at war, and we will continue to fight. Continue to fight until we reach all our goals. After the break, what this deal could mean for Netanyahu himself and for the war in the long term. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Since October 7th, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has faced mounting pressure from the families of those held by Hamas. Calls to bring the captives home have been accompanied by calls for Netanyahu to resign. 
Israelis blame Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu for what is happening. 76% of Israelis, that's three out of four people, say Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu should resign. Al Jazeera correspondent Sarah Khairat says those families were kept in the dark about Israel's ceasefire negotiations. In fact, one man we spoke to had told us that no one from the war cabinet, no one from the government, absolutely no official had even contacted them to ensure them that they will bring them back home, to update them, to even discuss with them whether negotiations were even taking place. Because, as we know, Israel has right from the start said it refuses to deal with Hamas. And as it's established, it's being done through other mediators. And on top of that, Israel has had to change its stance slowly. But... Will this satisfy the families? We'll have to see. News that some of the captives will be released hasn't necessarily lessened their anxiety or their anger as they wait. Hamas has said that it will be releasing the names of the captives set to be freed, leaving those families waiting to know if they're included. There's a similar process going on with the Palestinian prisoners, whose families also have yet to be notified. And while this deal is progress for the families, Netanyahu's political future seems to be on hold. Right from the start, when a decision was being made as to who would be in this war cabinet, the opposition leader, Yair Lapid, as well as those that have been wanting to see Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu go, had decided that they would stay unified despite their differences, to ensure that that got them through the war. Now, that has changed since in terms of there being more divisions. However, they still do agree that any of those discussions as to who will hold on to the power once this is over, everyone's agreed that they should wait because now's not the right time to be discussing such matters. On the Palestinian side, The temporary ceasefire also seems unlikely to provide major changes in Gaza or the occupied West Bank. So away from this deal, when you look at the situation in Gaza, those airstrikes are happening continuously. You have people that move to the south that were told that that was the safest place to go. But even our own reporters, even our own teams have moved to the south, but no one is safe because even the south is being bombed. Israel's bombardment of Gaza has been relentless overnight as terms of a truce deal were being finalized. Strikes targeted the south, central and northern parts. At least 200 Palestinians have been killed in attacks overnight and on Wednesday morning. You also have, simultaneously as this is going on, daily raids that have been carried out in a way never seen before. Violent raids in occupied West Bank with soldiers turning up in their dozens with bulldozers, using airstrikes against them, using drone strikes. And the number of Palestinians there are being killed at an alarmingly high rate. So not just what's happening in Gaza, but the way the occupation is uh, becoming a lot more violent and the use of collective punishment. All of this existed already, but now it's on an unprecedented scale. As for whether this temporary ceasefire can change those facts on the ground and lead to something more permanent, James Bayes, Al Jazeera's diplomatic editor, says 
It's complicated. That's why they've initially framed this deal as a deal on both sides involving women and children. When you get beyond that, I think it's almost inevitable that it's going to become more difficult, but there'll be people on both sides, notably the families on both sides, pushing for more. There is a mechanism to extend the ceasefire. You give more captives, you get longer in terms of ceasefire, but the names on the list get more complicated. Once you get to Israeli soldiers, how much would Hamas want in return for the delivery of an Israeli soldier back to Israel? How much would Israel demand for some Palestinians who have been convicted? And remember, a lot of these people who are going to be released have not actually even been convicted. They're detained, but they've not been convicted. And many of the youngsters, we understand, are just teenagers who have been locked up for throwing stones at Israeli soldiers. When you go beyond that and you find a Palestinian prisoner who's been convicted of something like murder, then are you ever going to get agreement, particularly with the current very hardline Israeli government, for someone like that to be released by Israel if Hamas was to ask for them? The stakes are going to get higher and higher and higher. I have no doubt that Israel intends to restart this war. Israel has made that very, very clear and we can be in no doubt about Israel's determination to take on Hamas. But I do think there's a political aspect to this globally. Remember, the whole of the world right now, with just a few exceptions, wants there to be not a temporary ceasefire, but a permanent ceasefire. You saw that weeks ago in the UN General Assembly, where there was an overwhelming vote for a permanent ceasefire. The only countries now holding out for um, just pauses or a temporary ceasefire, or whatever you want to call it, are the United States and some of their European allies. The whole world, absent a few countries, is already saying it's time to end this war. The death toll is too high. It's time to go back to negotiations. Many are bringing up the idea of a two-state solution again. It's time to deal with this with diplomacy, not with bombardment and bloodshed. The pressure on Israel, and for that matter, on the US, is going to grow. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Miranda Lynn, Khalid Sultan, and David Enders, with Chloe K. Lee, Sonia Bagat, Ashish Malhotra, Zaina Bezer, Sari Al-Khalili, Berenice Campana, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.